All right. Well, welcome back to What We Couldn't Say on Sunday. It has been a few months since we've last recorded this. And before then, we had a few months before we recorded that one. <laughs> and then uh, Ross and Daniel hit one. And then, uh, and then we went uh, quiet for a while. And so we're back and we're committed to making these happen more regularly. And so I'm here with just Daniel because Ross is in Malawi. It was his birthday yesterday, and we had no contact. We don't know if he even has internet. It's very confusing right now. So just a reminder for you to pray for Pastor Ross as he's away from us. And so Ross, uh, so Daniel and I are going to be talking through uh, last, last week Sunday, and then also this last Sunday. So we're going to try to cover two uh, concisely because that's what Daniel and I are known for. That's right. Perfect. Especially me. <laughs> My sermons are always very short and to the point. Um <laughs> And so, just a side note, Daniel, uh, I was like, Daniel, please help edit the message, uh, because this last week we had some uh, sound problems and, and things like that. And so, the, it said that it, I preached 53 minutes, <laughs> but in fact, I preached about 49. So much better. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so, Daniel, cut it down so when you listen to it, you can see that I did, in fact, preach about 49 minutes. So, um, okay, without... Further ado, just a reminder for those of you who have not heard in a while or have never heard what we do here on this podcast. This podcast exists so that we can better serve the, the members of All People's Church and any of you friends or family who listen along. And so what we do is every week when we research and prep a sermon, there's going to be a lot of stuff that we have to cut in order to uh, better serve hearers. Uh, if we include everything that we find in our research and our studies and our prayer, the sermons would just be too long and too confusing, too unhelpful to have 15 main points. And so what we do is we cut that material, put it on the side, and have it to share uh, at, during this avenue. Furthermore, we have an opportunity for members to push back, ask questions. We have a, a sermon uh, review with our, our staff, our, our leadership team. And so people will be like, hey, that was great, but that wasn't very helpful. And so, so this is our kind of second swing at clarifying anything that we could have said differently or better or adding things that we couldn't say on purpose and now is a great opportunity to say. So that is all the intro for today. Um, and so to start off, we always want to ask, so Daniel, what did you say that Sunday? What was your main point? What were what was your text and so forth? Remind us. Yeah. So the title of the sermon was Death's Only Ransom from uh, Hosea 13. And um, really we see in this passage uh, uh, kind of a, a unrepentant sin that leads to death as this culmination. And um, we, we kind of see this uh, similarity between the story of Adam and mankind where like Adam in the garden, uh, his sin warranted his removal from God's presence. And similarly, Israel uh, continues to rebel against them. He's been, uh, Israel was placed in a similar like Eden-like situation in the promised land. And, and yet God, um, God is, is promising them in this passage that death is coming for their sin against him. Um, what we see is that unrepentant sin is a path to death. Hmm. Um, and the, the, the reason that we die as a result of our sin is because we're absent from God. God's life is present. I'm sorry, in God's presence is life. So the absence of God is death. But the main point of the sermon was not death, but that Jesus is our only ransom from death. So I focus on God's mercy in sending Jesus to redeem us from the law's curse which is death, and 
uh, his, his work was to ransom us from sin's death. So our only hope is Jesus. Um, this is a, a, it was a call to sinners to repent. To anyone who's stuck in, in sin and unrepentant sin, especially to, to turn away from, from it so that it will not end in death. But we also positively see for the Christian that the resurrection of Jesus ensures that we, we don't have to fear death anymore, even though we die. Mm. Um, secondly, we, we can fight sin uh, as we cling to the true Savior. He empowers us to, to overcome, to run from idols. And three, uh, we're promised that uh, we will live in God's presence for eternity um, if, if we trust him and we escape death. Uh, this is our hope, even as we lose loved ones uh, if they're in Christ, we'll see them again. Um, this is kind of where I went with the sermon. It's great. Yeah, I was really helped by it, and I know our church was too. And so then the second question would be, what would you say differently? Or what could you want to take back or clarify or nuance more? Yeah. So one of the things that was um, interesting is this uh, kind of varying translation that, that we dealt with in, um, I think it was in verse 8, where one trans some fifty percent of the translations that we read, even the newest uh, English Standard Version, um, it actually declares that God is going to save them from death. He says, "I shall ransom them from death." Whereas many of the other translations, including the one that we that I preached from, uh, is a question, and I think a rhetorical question, asking, "Shall I ransom them from death?" With the expected answer, "No." The passage is leading to that reality. Um, but what do we do when we face... Well, can, uh, you, can you remind us, all the hearers, what's the, what's the ultimate difference between asking it as a rhetorical question and then saying it emphatically like this is going to happen? Yeah. So asking as a question, um, this, this is kind of God saying after all that they've done, um, right before that it says that their sins are being amassed and stored up for their punishment. Um, so we, you know, it, it's, it's basically asking them, should I then redeem them? Like, should I re- restore this unrepentant people? Uh, and, and the expected answer is no. And he actually goes on to say, where O death is your, uh, are your plagues? Where O death is your stings? It's, it's, it's like he's summoning death to come on Israel. It's the shocking, uh, language where Yahweh, who is, uh, we typically just hear about his, his steadfast love. We, you know, we hear about God's love, but, but here he's saying uh, justly um, it is time for them to die. On the other hand, the, the promise of, of him ransoming from death, I shall redeem them from death, um, it, it, it would basically be a promise of, of salvation for Israel in the future. Yeah. That even though um, commentators would say that would not negate all that's been said before about the judgment coming on Israel, and even the verses that would follow this passage uh, that, that make, sh- make very clear that judgment is coming on Israel. Um, however, this would be a promise of future salvation for a remnant uh, of Israel. This, this is what we will see in, in chapter 14. Sam preached it on Sunday, um, that indeed there, there will be a return. Uh, God will save his people in his grace and mercy. Which is something you covered briefly, is that that as, is actually something that Hosea does sometimes. Yeah. Is where he'll just be going hard on judgment. And then out of nowhere with often not even a transition, 
transition sentence. Like he would mm-hmm. totally fail like a preaching class because like, where's your transition statement that came out or, but he would just all out of nowhere, just start talking about God's heart and mercy. And sometimes it's him speaking on behalf of Yahweh. And sometimes it's him, Yahweh himself speaking. And it's almost kind of like going back to that reality that God's um, conflicting at emotions that God perfectly harmonizes attributes. And yet yeah. he's feeling the weight of his, his wrath towards sin as he ought to as a just God. And also his, his heart is bustling, like bubbling with love and compassion. Yeah. Um, so that would be natural for the text to do that switch, which is why 50% take them that way. Yeah, right. But then you took it the other way. Yeah. That he, he won't have compassion at that right. point, at that point at least. Right. That's not the point of what he's trying to do it there. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, so what do we, what do we do with that? What do we do? Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's what I wanted to touch on here. What do we do when we come to translations uh, that, that, that differ? And, and when your preacher preaches uh, something different than, <laughs> than uh, your, your translation ha- says before you. So I think there's a couple things. I'm not going to get into any more of, of the, the nuance there. There's a lot of uh, things that you could read in commentaries, and we spent a lot of time over it. But I just want to give a couple quick points about the trustworthiness of the Bible. Um, the Bible is trustworthy, and we have we have a lot of reason to to feel that. One, uh, we have thousands of manuscripts to work with to test whether we have the original text. We have had we have textual critics from thousands of years ago, as well as scholars who have wrestled with these truths. Um, so there's nothing new here. More importantly, for our passage, uh, this this doesn't affect the meaning for us. Ultimately, the truth is still stated in this passage that God will judge death. Um, And we know, like we just said, from chapter 14 and other passages, that that Jesus will ultimately ransom a remnant from death. Um, He will ultimately uh, fulfill his promises to Israel. Um, But, yeah, this this is not a a huge... It doesn't change our our theology or understanding of God. Um, And and that is is typically true of any variance that you're going to find in the Bible. That's right. Um, number three, your Bibles, uh, they will often have a footnote. If there's a difference in yeah. you know, translation, uh, there's going to be a footnote at the bottom. Even if there are minor uh, discrepancies, you can usually see the options in your footnotes and go explore them further. Um, this leads me to an exhortation. Uh, Church, we want to be studying our Bibles uh, really carefully. We want to be digging in, asking questions. Um, that sort of text, if your translation says... Out of, out of the blue, I shall redeem them uh, from death. You should be asking, like, where is this coming from? Like, how can he say that? Or, on the other hand, how can God uh, say such a thing that he's going to summon death to come on his people, that he's promised salvation mm-hmm. at some point? You should, we should be asking questions. Um, we want you to, to be doing heavy lifting. Don't don't make your, your preachers, your pastors... Uh, do do all of that. We want we want to train you. That is that is really our our goal to train you to uh, make a meal for yourselves. Make um, help your study to really become rich and robust. And um, that means we, we want you to study in community. We want we want you to open up commentaries. We can help you with that if you if you have any questions of good commentaries on on the Book of Hosea or others. We want you to look to past theologians and to talk with friends. This is what DNA is for. If you're wrestling with particular scriptures and uh, 
as well as our APC uh, Bible discussion. Yeah, our Voxer group is, yeah. is one that you could ask questions there and press in. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, uh, when you come to the text, pray. Pray a lot because there, there are challenges in this Bible that we read. And Hosea has <laughs> presented many of them yeah. to us. So I think we need to come praying, asking God to show us what he, yeah. he wants us to see. It's good. Yeah, I, and just to sum up, um, I, I just think it's really important to hear, rehear what Daniel just said. Um, there is nothing, any translation variance uh, throughout all of the Bibles from any major translation uh, or any textual variance. If you, if, it, when, whenever there's manuscripts that differ in the original Greek or Hebrew, there is none of them that would would dictate a complete change in our theology, mm-hmm. um, our who God is. Um, there, there are nuances. And for in this situation, it changes. It, the question doesn't become, you know, is Hosea trustworthy or not? The question is, is Hosea in chapter 13 trying to emphasize right here that God is going to bring imminent judgment or is he giving a line of hope? Yeah. But the reality is both of those are taught throughout Hosea and other places where there's no disagreements. Mm-hmm. And it's clearly he's going to bring judgment and yet he's clearly going to bring hope. Mm-hmm. And so that's where, where you can kind of take a step back and just breathe and be like, oh, it's okay. Like the stakes aren't that high here because even if you miss it and let's say uh, Daniel was wrong or Daniel's right, it's okay because both those truths have been taught throughout the scripture. Right. And it's okay. Yeah. But what we want to do is say, okay, what is he trying to say here? Mm-hmm. And sometimes people have the right doctrine, just the wrong text or address. Right. And so we want to try to do both the right doctrine and get the right emphases in every passage we're in. Mm-hmm. That's good. And just to, 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 to make a side note, I have an older ESV, and my ESV doesn't have a footnote at all. And, and it just says, shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol as a mm-hmm. question. And uh, the newer ESVs, uh, they went through a revision. They... They, they changed it, right? Yeah. And so even within one translation, as um, they reconvene every uh, a few years, they'll come together and they say, okay, you know what? We're, we're, we're thinking we're, we're, we have a sharper understanding of the Hebrew here or, or so forth, or the culture has changed here. And so that word that we used is still good, but it's so loaded with confusion for our mm. culture now that we can't, we're going to, let's try this word better that would faithfully get the author own intent. And right. so that's just something to get, to know that the even translations have variations over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's good. It's a good thing that they're, that these scholars are wrestling through how to render these original, um, these languages that you don't speak, that most people don't speak, that, that, that we know uh, um, at, at some level, um, but to make it um, understandable for our context. That's good. It's a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the final question would be, what couldn't you say? that you purposely left out? Yeah, so um, I didn't have time to talk about the, the topic of the second death. So I focused on on death and really how uh, our sin leads to our death. I even presented death as potentially our greatest enemy. It seems that scripture would would make that mm-hmm. case. Um, and I, I just wanted to, to touch on the idea of the second death. Um, Revelation 21 uh, gives us this language, and it's. Uh, I'm just going to read a, a small portion. It says that, um, in ver- starting in verse 6, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Uh, those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. 
But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So here's why I thought this is important, and I wish I could have gone there. Sin in this life, uh, it leads to death. Like death is the, uh, it is the sting of of of, of sin. It, it is the result of sin. And um, yet, there's something far greater than, than death in this life. Um, and, and that is what the Bible describes the second death. Uh, that is hell. <laughs> that is eternal separation from God. Um, it, it, it almost seems that then physical death in the life that we now live is like a parable of, of this greater reality uh, that eternal separation from God is far worse than the ending of an 80-year span or whatever whatever length of life that, that we have. Um, so I, I kind of had to assume it for the sake of time that, that people understood that death and, and unrepentant sin would lead to hell. But I think it was important to say here that the Bible is is very clear that there there is there is a death that that goes far beyond a physical death here, um, and that that is to receive to to experience the wrath of God uh, in eternal separation from Him um, in, in in hell. And tagging along with that for for, for Christians, um, I want to answer the question: How does Jesus's resurrection uh, inform the way that we think about? The, the second death. Well, what we just read is that um, all those that are uh, in Christ, they are able to um, drink from the water of life. Um, those who are victorious, those who cling to Jesus, it says, will inherit uh, this eternal life. And, and so I, I just wanted to, to quickly um, speak to this, that, that Christian we're all going to die. I mean, this is this is something that um, unless Jesus returns, every single human, including believers, will will die. Um, this body is mortal, um, and the scriptures talk about how one day we're going to put on an immortal body. Um, in fact, this mortal body that we experience now, we we need to shed it. Like the Bible talks about how. We need to put on an immortal body because we're going to enter into the presence of an immortal God. Uh, we're going to see his face and our mortal uh, sinful flesh actually cannot handle being in his presence. But we're going to put on a new body, a new body which cannot experience the second death. It's a resurrection body that is given to us as a result of, of our being in union with Christ. And and this this is church our greatest hope like uh, that we would we would in Christ's presence receive a new body no longer fearing uh, physical death no longer fearing uh, the wrath of God and having an eternal uh, physical body a new body that's very much like what we experience now but is able to be in God's presence for eternity um, without pain without crying without uh, any any of that suffering that we experience now. This is our greatest hope. Um, we do not fear the second death. So I said it before, 
um, in, in the sermon, but I, I want to make the emphasis again. If you are in Christ, uh, believer, you have no need to fear death because you're going to get a new body. And you're going to rise again in Christ Jesus. And if any of your loved ones have, have passed, um, they will indeed. They don't have a body right, right now, but they're in the presence of God. But when Jesus returns, he promises that uh, we will put on a new body. And this is, this is our great hope. So much so that First Peter calls Christians to set our hope fully on that day when Jesus will appear. Uh, why? Because this is when we're going to experience our greatest life. Um, we fear death now because life is precious. If we think life is precious now, how much more will we experience? Oh, brothers and sisters, we have so much to look forward to in the presence of God for eternity with new bodies that cannot die. We have so much to look forward to. So this is why we're called to uh, set this as our greatest hope. That's good. That's good. Just maybe think of this one passage to, to maybe end on is First Thessalonians four thirteen, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Mm. So just this picture that Christians never really die. Yeah. They just go to sleep. Yeah. And we can grieve differently because we know that it's just a nap. That's right. It's just a nap. All right, we're going to switch gears now. And um, we literally have to be short because um, I have to go pick up Elijah at school. So <laughs> so let's. Uh, so now Daniel is going to be taking the uh, host seat and he's going to be asking me some questions about the sermon from last Sunday. Sam, what would you share about uh, your sermon? How would you sum it up? You know, just simply put, I didn't have one main point, but is basically this, is that God um, hands us the playbook on how to return to him. He wants us to come home, and in his condescension and his mercy, rather than expecting us to get our act together or know how to sincerely respond to him, he literally holds us by the hand and brings him back to himself. And um, and he just gives us a step-by-step of, hey, you have to confess your sins. You have to reject those who you are replacing me with. Um, and then he just has this beautiful response of, I'm going to respond and heal them um, of their wayward hearts. He's going to love them freely. And then the result of all that loving and receiving them relationally mm-hmm. is that they're going to just have a ridiculous blessing um, that we, we will ultimately see in the new heavens, new earth. Um, but we see it in parts spiritually, but just this fruitfulness that um, those who trust in Yahweh and those who ultimately put his tr- trust in hit the seed in Christ are going to experience just this abundant life. It's amazing. And then the book just ends kind of hanging like, hey, what are you going to do about all this? Mm-hmm. Um, you've heard all this. Are you going to put your hope in Yahweh? You're going to trust you're going to return home because that's what the, the pastor says, return to Yahweh, return to him. Or are you going to continue to live in your foolish ways? Hmm. So that's basically what, where we went. Amazing. And, and really we spent a lot of time, especially because your, uh, your feedback on, during the sermon um, uh, prep time of just what it means to actually ask for forgiveness. Yeah. What does it mean to actually repent language that we can often just use in the church and forget and not really know what we're saying. Yeah. You know, you gave us a really helpful um, model for or paradigm for confession and repentance. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, and that's really what I just want to focus on. Um, besides one other thing, I, I do want to uh, touch on is um, a very basic um, acronym that you can use when you need to repent. Um, which hopefully you can use this every day, uh, and it's basically CARS. C A R S. 
And C stands for confessing, confession, confess your sins. Um, and then, and I did unpack more of what that means, but confess your sins. Um, A would be affirm God's forgiveness and love. R, I couldn't spell for a second. I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah. R is, is uh, request for grace to change. And then S would be share with someone who will fight for you. Mm-hmm. In other words, um, oftentimes when we get, when we, when we fall into any sin, um, we can really struggle on how to return. Mm-hmm. And we have all these sometimes because we don't understand the gospel very well, sinful responses uh, where we'll uh, put ourselves in the penalty box, like I talked about, where we just feel like we need to punish ourselves for a while before we return back home, or we'll just ignore it. And maybe time will heal. Or sometimes we can just continue to just push ourselves further away from God because we feel all the shame that we can never return back. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of other responses too, but those are some of the main ones. And so what CARS does is kind of just gives you a tool of how to walk through it. Well, first, got to address the issue. Right, and that's something I wish I said better. As I talked about, when you sin against anybody, God or anyone, you're wounding them, you are hurting them, and if you just try to be reunited with them relationally without dealing with what the what how you wounded them, you're going to shortchange the reconciliation process. And I found that I do that often in my repentance. My repentance is weak, and so therefore I find myself falling back in the same sin, or I find myself not experiencing the joy of salvation as. Psalm 51 says, of just the restoration and the, and the worship that can ensue, um, re- just being restored. And, and give an example, the other morning, um, post the sermon on Monday, I just totally just ignored the Lord in the morning. I was kind of feeling sick, tired, just veg and just read news and studied climate change and just things like that. And I did, and I, and I told you in the car um, as we met up later that day, right. um, how like I needed to share. So I went through the cars process because it, it dawned on me around like 11 in the morning um, that I just ignored the Lord. Mm-hmm. And in the past, I would just say something like, oh, I'm sorry, God, oh, that wasn't good. Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, dang, I need to practice my what I preach, right? Yeah. And so I was like, all right, cars, all right, cars, confess your sin. And we talked very important how important it is to be very specific. So I was like, God, Father, forgive me for acting like my time is my own. Forgive me for treating you like you are second best or not even second or third. Forgive me that I acted as if finding rest is reading or doing something else instead of just being with you. Um, Father, forgive me that I so often act like my life is my own. And forgive me that I don't like spending time with you as much as I ought to, as much as you deserve. And so I just spent time really trying to confess and get to the heart. Forgive me, Father, for being so independent from you yeah. and acting like I control my life. And, and so what I was doing is I was addressing the very wound that I caused in God's heart. Because remember, we're, we've got to remember, and I didn't say this very clearly, we're dealing with a person. Mm-hmm. He's not a man, but he is a person. Mm-hmm. And so we need to remember that we want to relate to God as a person and not like this impersonal spirit, like this this gas or mm-hmm. this like this cosmic law. We're wounding a very person who's given their heart to us. And so I I address that wound. And then after that, I affirm that God has forgiven me. I affirm that Christ, um, uh, first John says, or if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. I wish I used that passage in the sermon Mm. and just affirm the fact that God has forgiven me, that these realities are true, that he has washed me, that I am righteous. And so I'm just speaking these gospel truths over myself. And then I went to request for God's grace to change. I just said, God, please 
This is the pattern that's unhealthy, especially on Monday mornings. And this is a pattern sometimes on mornings in general when I just ignore you. Please help me transform and change by your spirit. Um, and so I was knowing full well that I keep falling back into this pattern. I'm begging God for grace to overcome, which I can't clearly do on my own. Mm-hmm. And then I saw you and I shared with you. Yeah. Um, and it's important to share, especially with people that you see regularly. And what uh, a real danger is, is some people is they'll share with a rotation of different people. Right. And so no one can actually see the the patterns of unhealth. Right. So like, let's say you, you struggle with lust or porn or something like that. And if you struggle with one, if you, if you rotate between five different people in your life over mm-hmm. the course of weeks or months, it doesn't seem as bad mm-hmm. to each person. But if you share with that same person, the, the guy can look at you and be like, dude, you just shared with me yesterday. Mm-hmm. What's going on here, brother? You just share with me again last week, you know, and that there's a power in sharing with people who can walk with you and can see the trends yeah. and to lovingly call you out of that and walk alongside rather than a short, quick, hey, I, I you know, can you, can I share some with you? That's right. Um, and so, so, so I hope that our church can really embrace cars. I'm not saying it's the best tool. I just think it's, it's, it's a tool and it's better than no tool because most people just ambiguously were like, oh, I, I'm sorry, God, thanks for forgiving me and kind of move on. But really to, to, to sit through each of these steps until these steps are completed so you can be fully restored to God. Do you love cars? <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually am not a big car person. <laughs> yeah, okay. Before I was a Christian, I was a big car person. Okay. <laughs> like I, I had like my own like dream car that I would have. And then for whatever reason, after I became a Christian, I, I just don't care anymore. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and that's just me. And, and, and if you love cars, that's fine and all. But it maybe loving cars will help because then you'll now – uh, remember this acronym more. Right. And so remember cars. Remember, you know, whenever you sin, hey, you, you need to hop in a car. <laughs> you need to hop in cars, I guess. Yeah. To, 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 to return back home. Oh, there it, is. there it is. There it is. I could have preached that. <laughs> right? So imagine you were away from God. And if you want to return home, you have to get into cars to get <laughs> home that's kind of cheesy it is definitely cheesy but, but cheesy is good because it's more memorable, memorable. it's more memorable right really, anything else sam that you want to share no man i'm that that that's it i i just really hope that our church can experience uh cars regularly so that they can experience more joy yeah. and i just find so many christians um they they lack joy and passion because they have underlying shame yeah, that's true. And when you don't deal with that shame, it actually creates a shame cycle mm-hmm. where that shame perpetuates uh, a cycle to, to push you towards isolation and to other habits that would would further the sin or addiction. Yeah. And then you fall right back in and it just further goes in. And then when you fall right back into it, you're like, oh, man, I, I knew it. I am. And, and it just gets worse. And so I just find that Christians who lack joy often mm-hmm. lack repentance yeah. or their repentance is very weak. And I just I so want to. I, w- I want us to get this well because I want us to have more joy. I want happiness yeah. for our people. Yeah. And I want power. And when we're not repenting, we're cutting ourselves from our power source because we're grieving the very Holy Spirit of God. As mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit is within us. And so we're, we're missing out on miracles. We're missing out on evangelistic opportunities and discipleship and all these things that we, we, we could have because we're, we're robbing ourselves because we don't repent. So yeah, there it is. It's good stuff. Yeah. Any thoughts? Um, we do these things called DNAs, and yeah, you know, this this is the this is the whole reason for it. We wanna we wanna get you um, before other brothers and sisters that love you and can 
can help help you walk through this process because yes great joy comes in living in the light uh i feel like just recently i've seen um a few different brothers repent of sin and you can see how it, it brings freedom it brings victory and man that's that's what we want so praise god there is a culture of that in our church i think in part because of uh, how we how we hope to do church mm-hmm. life together but um we we need this exhortation to to keep keep running and and doing this well together yeah. yeah. So, so on that note, I, I just beg you, church, to press into your DNA mm-hmm. and 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 share with them again. Like I said in the sermon, um, so many Christians ignore the S. They just do the C A R if they even do that, mm-hmm. and they just skip the S because you know God knows that's all I need, and, and we have a very per, uh, individualistic Christianity, and we don't realize that we're missing out on so much power and help. Mm. And in fact, I feel like the Lord has show, shared with me several times um, in in a very very strong way in my spirit, and saying, "Sam, I will not give you freedom unless you share with others." Yeah. In fact, that was only that's when I started to see consistent victory over lust in my life when I started to let other people in, mm. but I just hit it. And hit it and hit it. I think so many Christians do the same thing in whatever area yeah. or multiple areas. And so therefore, we're not experiencing the power. And God's like, well, I gave you the playbook. Um, so obviously, I'm not going to bless you mm. and give you freedom. That's good. You know? So yeah. yeah, leaving on that sober note, go talk to, talk, go, go, go walk through cars. Um, remember, confess, um, affirm, request, and share. All right. It's been good to be with you, Daniel. First time doing this podcast with you. First of God willing, many. Yes. All right. All right. We'll see you guys uh, at something, you know, (laughs) missional community when we gather or DNA or somewhere else. Um, Love you guys.